Jay's Journal Podcast. And on tonight's show, we've got Arden's Welling Sportsnet. He's a staff writer, he's a podcaster, he's a blogger, he's an author. I guess you could say he's Mr. Sportsnet, or Mr. Saturday Night, or quite frankly, Captain Universe. I don't care, but when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays and your love of this team, there is no better authority. And I've got him on a one-on-one exclusive when we talk about this offseason, this upcoming 2018 season, what's going to happen during the course of trying to improve this team, and whether or not you should really believe the glass is half empty or half full. I'll try to steer you in the direction of the latter. So without further delay, let's go ahead and start talking with Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet about your Toronto Blue Jays here on the Jays Journal podcast. He's a great friend of the show and is one of the most celebrated sports journalists across this country whose expertise in baseball, specifically as a staff writer for Sportsnet Magazine and Sportsnet.ca, has made him a real true authority on all things Toronto Blue Jays. So it's my pleasure to have Arden Zwelling on the Jays Journal podcast today. Arden, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Ari, thank you for having me. Listen, it would be easy for me to do what I've been doing for the last few weeks, which is focusing on negative elements related to a disappointing year of baseball in Toronto. And I have to tell you, Arden, it's almost reaching a point of sadism because there is no shortage of opinion as to why things didn't work out. And suffering fans are always looking for a reason to believe into what might happen next year. In your opinion, what should keep a typical Blue Jays fan going strong during this offseason? I mean, how would you provide some swelling therapy for a fan base that looked at a 76-win season riddled with underachievement and player regression and injuries and refused to believe that this team's, of this team's ability to compete in 2018? It's a good question. I think it was uh, it was definitely a trying season for a, for a Blue Jays fan. It had to be a frustrating one. Um, you know, it, it felt like this uh, this is a team that really just spun its wheels all year in, in a way and never really got over uh, you know a really disastrous start to the season. So, you know, if if I'm uh, you know offering therapy to Blue Jays fans, I guess you know I would say it, it can't be much worse than it was this season. Uh, you know, surely there, there must be some positive regression on the way for, for this club. And, uh, you know, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you've heard the management of this team say repeatedly over the last couple of months that they want to contend in 2018. They want to feel the winner. They want to try to make the postseason. So, uh, you know, that's good news for you as a fan because, you know, it, it sounds like there's, there's going to be a product on the field that, uh, you know, is going to be competitive. Uh, that you can cheer for, and, and that you know the, the Blue Jays certainly hope uh, you know will will provide competitive, good, meaningful baseball well into September, and they obviously hope into October as well. So it's better to be in that situation than to be you know in the depths of a, a rebuild where you're only winning 60 games uh, a season, or to you know be a kind of a financially uh, hamstrung franchise that, that can't really field a competitive club. So I think Blue Jays fans can feel good about that you've also covered basketball and UFC in the past you're obviously paying attention to what's going on in the playoffs this is the first time in three years where you've had no reason whatsoever to really cast a a real light on what's going on with the Blue Jays because they're not in the playoffs how does that feel from a climate or atmospheric perspective for you knowing that after back-to-back years of all this incredible enthusiasm and adulation we find ourselves basically wondering how can Toronto Blue Jays stay relevant during this offseason? Well, for me personally, it's from a free time perspective, it's been pretty nice <laughs> this October. I, I had this uh, 
I did this thing a few days ago called a weekend where, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I just didn't work and, uh, you know, I actually did things that I enjoyed. So that, that was pretty cool. Uh, didn't have that experience last October, uh, but obviously, you know, I wouldn't trade in those playoff runs of 2015 and 2016 for anything because it was such a, a a treat for me professionally uh, and even just personally to to be at you know some of the games and then to be there when you know Jose Bautista is, flips his bat and to be there when Edwin Encarnacion hits a, a home run off Ubaldo Jimenez in the wild card game to be in Kansas City for game uh, I guess it was game six. Uh, it, I mean, just to be there for, for all of those uh, moments was unbelievable uh, professionally and, and personally. So, you know, it's definitely a bit of a different uh, bit of a different atmosphere uh, this October is, you know, I, I watch on TV, but, uh, you know, that, that's uh, that's baseball. Your, your team's not going to make the postseason every year. It's pretty rare, you know, how many how many teams yeah. can, can really say that year after year after year they're in contention. You, you know, you, you look at kind of the roller coaster that the Boston Red Sox – road over you know the last uh you know six seven years where you know you've got world series championships you've also got last place finishes uh you know it's very hard for teams to consistently uh you know be winning their division or being in the postseason and going on to you know compete in championship series or world series so uh, that's where you're at now it's interesting if we look at things from an off-season perspective i believe you've gone on record as saying that Shohei Otani is the best pitcher and the best hitter on the market, which I'm sure is a statement must have been surreal unto itself, but you were saying that about the same person. Um, we know that he's allegedly motivated by more than just money. Maybe you could help the listeners of my show better appreciate what he represents and, in your opinion, why it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the Jays might make a real play in trying to bring him to Toronto. Yeah, well, the, the fact that he's even, uh, you know, coming over next season, which isn't official yet, but, uh, you know, it, it, there's been enough reporting done on it that you can feel pretty confident this is the way that he's moving. It, it sounds like he's hiring an agent and, he, and you know, he's, he's putting putting the process forward to come to MLD in 2018. The fact that he's doing that at this point, at 23, tells you that he's not motivated by money because if he waited until he turned 25, uh, under the rules of the collective bargaining agreement, he could, you know, earn an, an, an unlimited salary. But by coming over now, there's a very hard cap on the uh, the bonus that he can earn. Uh, by coming over now, he has to enter MLB as a uh, a minor leaguer, you know, and essentially start his six years of service time and really, del- you know, he's leaving a lot of money uh, on the table by doing this right now. And of course, you know, if he is as good as he has been. In Japan, I mean, he's going to make a ton of money in MLB if he's if he's even you know half as good as he's been in Japan. He's, he's going to do really well in the U.S. So, but that you know that also is why um, basically 30 teams have a chance at him is because there's a very hard cap on what uh, on what Shohei Otani can earn, and you know it kind of depends on a, a team's market and uh, you know on how much of their international bonus pool they've spent. But you know it, every team can uh, feasibly have a seat at the table and make their pitch to Shohei Otani. So I fully expect the Blue Jays to, um, to, to, to do exactly that. I mean, it, you know, all the, you're not risking anything, really. If you've got $20 million to put up, which is the, the posting fee, uh, you know, if you get him, you, you spend those $20 million, but you get Shohei Otani. And if you don't get him, then those $20 million come back to you and don't go anywhere. So you mm-hmm. might as well take that seat at the table. So, yeah, I expect the Blue Jays to be among the teams to do that. And, you know, I, I think the Blue Jays can make a, a pretty sound case, you know, in, in, a, in a very cosmopolitan city, uh, a very multicultural yeah. city, a city that has uh, 20,000 Japanese residents 
uh, a team that, you know, a fan base that fell in love with Minori Kawasaki. You know, that's kind of the most, I guess, prominent Japanese player the Blue Jays have had in the recent years. And, and this fan base in the city absolutely fell in love with him. And, and Minori Kawasaki never has a bad word to say about Toronto and about Canada. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I think the Blue Jays can, can make a good case to show Otani. We'll see how it goes. And you've had exposure to both Alex Anthopoulos and Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. So from your perspective, is there something that you believe that Shapiro and Atkins would be more likely to be inclined to pursue Natani relative to Anthopoulos if he were still in charge? Is there a reason for fans to be optimistic that maybe Mark Shapiro can appreciate all of those elements, both directly and intangibly that you just mentioned as to the benefits of getting a player like this? I, I would expect whoever was in charge of the Toronto Blue Jays to pursue Shohei Otani. You know, I'm sure that Alex Anthopoulos, who is now with the Dodgers, I, I am certain the LA Dodgers are going to be, uh, you know, pursuing Shohei Otani and perhaps the front runner. Really, it's you know, it's widely believed that Shohei Otani had a deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers to come over out of high school. Uh, and then was convinced to stay in Japan. But, you know, that's obviously a team that, that he's familiar with. And, yeah, so I'd expect the Blue Jays to be involved, the Dodgers to be involved. I'd expect, uh, you know, really every team. It's, it's really, it is, it's, it's a no-brainer for, for every team to at least yeah. get a seat at the table and at least explore it and at least see, you know, what, what can be done, uh, you know, because the cost really isn't very prohibitive. And also because we're talking about a guy who's been a 10-win player in Japan playing both ways, if he's even a fraction of that, you know, if he's six or seven wins in, in MLB, that's a, a Josh Donaldson type of uh, contribution to your win total. So you, you absolutely have to explore it. Well, and, and, and speaking of Josh Donaldson, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the subject of how you feel the Blue Jays should handle what is clearly um, a decision that will have to be made sooner rather than later. I was on the Fan 590 last month on Roger Lejoie's excellent show. He brought me on on back-to-back weekends where I stated the case for keeping Josh Donaldson. Now, I, of course, understand the compelling reasons to not keep him and using as a trade, him as a trade resource. What is your definitive take on what the Blue Jays should really do with Josh Donaldson? Uh, what the Blue Jays should do, they, they should see what it's going to take to, to sign Josh Donaldson. And look, I, I think it's going to be $30 million a year, uh, really? probably yeah. for, for five years beyond 2018. So beginning in 2019 for five years, maybe even for six for $30 million a year. I mean, that's just what a player of his caliber costs in today's MLB. I mean, we're talking about one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, so, you know, I, I think that you, you, you know, the Blue Jays are going to be discussing contracts with Josh Donaldson this winter regardless because they have to sign him next year, whether they go through arbitration to do that, whether they come to agreement on a one-year deal for $23, $24 million. You know, it's something has to be, there's going to be communication there and you're going to be talking. So you might as well also explore, a, you know, a long-term extension and, and just see what, you know, what it would take and what would be on the table. And then you weigh it and, and you weigh mm-hmm. You know, what that would mean for your payroll for 2019, 2020, 21, 22, et cetera, what that means for your competitive window, how he lines up with, you know, your expected win totals in those years and, and the prospects that you have coming up through the, the farm system that you expect to be contributing in those years. Uh, you know, and, and you just kind of you, you forecast and say, you know, figure out if this is a, a prudent thing to do for your franchise or not. You know, it can be kind of cold sometimes and, and you know kind of calculated but you know the, the the Blue Jays front office 
can't think about it like a fan would or, or you know can't think about mm-hmm. it like you know uh, they, they can't make a, a foolish decision based on uh you know based on legacy or or based on what somebody means to the fan base uh the blue jays front office is going to do what's best for the toronto blue jays uh that that's what they're going to do and then sometimes mm-hmm. hard decisions have to be made and obviously mark spiro has been involved in a lot of those hard decisions throughout his uh, his career. So we'll, we'll see how things progress. I, I'm on record as saying I don't expect Josh Donaldson to be uh, a Toronto Blue Jay on opening day 2019. I could be surprised, but I don't expect it. What's especially fascinating is you brought up the the value, or in this case, the lack of value in fan sentiment and sentimentality in general. This, uh, this front office is clearly about making good business decisions. Speaking of making good business decisions or prudent ones I, I want to turn our attention to Devin Travis and the news that we received on his injury I mean how, how do fans interpret the interpret the front office official response Arden like what are your feelings about his future as part of this team's so-called controllable core of Asuna Sanchez and Stroman do you put him in that category or are you maybe more standoffish and saying until he can prove he can stay healthy for any stretch of time it's folly to pencil him into the lineup yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say it's folly, but I think that he absolutely has to prove that he can play a full season, uh, you know, and, and it's something that he hasn't done yet, uh, you know, and what's probably so frustrating about it for, you know, for him, for fans, for Blue Jays front office, for coaches, for everybody involved, is just how good Devin Travis has been when healthy. You know, he carried this team uh, when through that, I think it was May this year when, when he was yeah. just on fire and seemed like he was hitting two doubles every night and, and just, you know, it, he really did bring something to this lineup that it's sorely needed, uh, you know, for, from an offensive perspective, um, you know, brought someone on the base pass, just brought a, a, a useful injection of energy and, and uh, you know, the Blue Jays are really missing that at times this year. So I, I think that's what's so tormenting about it. Um, but look, he, he's got to, he's got to prove it. He's got to, he's got to play a full season. He's got to be healthy. He's had some very significant injuries early in his career. And, you know, there's no reason to suggest that that won't change. It, it has for other players in the past, but also, you know, a lot of times the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. So there's, you know, I, I think that well, sure, the yeah. case, going into 2018, you're certainly exploring insurance at, at second base. You know, you're, you're, you're certainly trying to build some, some middle infield depth, especially, you know, considering who's going to play shortstop as well. Uh, you know, that guy also has pretty decorated injury history. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're definitely looking to build, a, build up your depth in, in those positions and, and try to guard against injury in those positions because when, though, you know, Troy Tulowitzki and Devin Travis had injuries this season, that meant Ryan Goins playing every day and Darwin Barney playing a lot more. Um, and, and, you know, I think if you're the Blue Jays and you want to contend and you want to win, you're going to need uh, just a, a more productive uh, bat in, in those spots. And, and we'll see if the Blue Jays can find it this winter. One player who was extremely productive and found what I guess is that big game clutch mentality that once upon a time used to be all about him telling us how great he was. This year, I think he proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Marcus Stroman, a player that I, I felt should have been team MVP uh, without question, but somehow he garnered only a single vote while our friend, Mr. Justin Smoke ran away with, I think, 38 votes. Are you surprised at that result? And, and what does his six war in 2017 tell you about what he's capable of in the eyes of the fans? Yeah, Marcus Stroman had a brilliant season. You know, people talk about the 
2016 season that Aaron Sanchez had and, and how promising that was for him. And people were talking about him as potentially one of the best pitchers in, in the American League. Well, I mean, Marcus Stroman just had Aaron Sanchez's 2016 and better. You know, he he, he yeah. actually improved on those numbers a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you can't take anything away from what Marcus Stroman did this year. He's, you know, proven a lot. He's proven he can be a starter and, and, and a workhorse, really, a guy who can throw – 200 innings a season uh, in two consecutive years. Uh, you know, a guy who can get a, a whole lot of ground balls and a guy who can also strike guys out when he needs to. And a guy who is, in in a way, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's revolutionizing anything, but in a way he is changing the way pitchers approach things when you look at some of his mechanics and some of the, the things he does with his delivery on the mound. Um, that's, that's stuff that you don't see a lot, and that's stuff that's clearly bothering uh, opposition hitters. So, you know, it, it really is uh, uh, fun to watch Marcus Stroman yeah. pitch uh, and, and, and do what he did this year. And, uh, you know, there's really no reason, you know, he, he, he works out like crazy and, and he really does take care of his body and he really is committed to being the best pitcher that he can be. Uh, you know, and so there really is no reason not to expect him to uh, continue to be really good going forward. Do you think he's hurt by the fact that he's maybe trying to be a little bit too um, trailblazing in his efforts? I mean, I recall at least maybe what Arden two dozen examples this year of his quick pitch efforts where the umpires just weren't consistent in interpreting it. Half the time it seemed like he had a legitimate beef. Half, half the time it seemed like it was something that was in his head. Uh, do you think Major League Baseball will address that to make him work easily more and more effectively within those boundaries of his keeping hitters off balance? To me, that's on the umpires, you know, because the, the rule is the rule. And so you, you have to call it one way or the other. You know, the fact that Marcus Stroman would seem to get different calls from different umpires and different starts throughout yeah. the, the season, uh, yeah, that had to be frustrating for him because you want consistency in how the game is uh, is policed. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't know if MLB is going to, you know, clarify the rule or, or provide any kind of framework or whatever. I would expect that any umpire that knows they're behind the plate for a Marcus Stroman start, knows the Marcus Stroman is going to do things like that and is going to vary his delivery. Um, you know, I would expect that in the heat of the moment, he, that umpire is probably hearing quite a bit from the opposition dugout, might be hearing things from the batter in the batter's box. Uh, you know, you might be hearing things from the Blue Jays catcher. You might be hearing things from Marcus Stroman on the mound. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, intensity and pressure in those situations. But I think that you just want to see just consistency and you just want you know it's like hitters say with the strike zone right it's like look if you're going to give that strike that's you know a few inches off the plate give it to us give it to them give it all night long so that we know that is a strike and we know we have to defend against that you don't want to yeah. call it sometimes and, and not called other times so you you just want consistency and you know we'll, we'll see i i'd imagine it's going to be an issue going forward you know i imagine there's going to be starts where marcus stroman disagrees with the way that that the umpire is interpreting what he's doing on the mound it's something he's just going to have to probably deal with i mean i i don't see a you know a lot of change coming with, with the umpiring so i think it's something that he's going to have to deal with and, and persevere through and battle through and he really showed this year that he is able to do that no question. And, of course, the other player who ultimately was uh, one of maybe only two overachievers all year, maybe three if we include Asuna, although he had his share of troubles, which kind of deflected from just how great he was in the earlier part of the season, uh, Justin Smoke. Justin Smoke is a first baseman, a first baseman coming off a year in which he had, quote, MVP or team MVP numbers. 
and also, for all intents and purposes, disappeared in September. You mentioned the team needing to address depth issues, positional issues, catching, second base, shortstop. If an offer in the offseason came for Justin Smoke, should fans brace themselves that this organization might consider using him as an opportunity to reinforce more important or pressing positions uh, on the ball club? It would depend on the offer, and it would depend if you know the Blue Jays felt that they were getting better at the major league level. You know, I don't think you're going to see Justin Smoke trade for prospects. I don't think you'd see him trade for future pieces. I think that you know if it's a if it's a move that that made the Blue Jays uh, you know better in, in another area, and, and actually you know the way the Blue Jays project their win total actually increased it, then if they hung on to Justin Smoke, then I guess that's something that you think about, but. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I see that happening. I, I think that, you know, baseball really wants to see if Justin Smoke can repeat what he did this year. And you mentioned, you know, the, the the slump that he had at the end of the year over the last six weeks or so. And, you know, he was dealing with some injury concerns. You know, he had a yeah. couple of contusions in his lower half. You, you could, you know, you could really watch him running out his ground balls and then getting the first base. And you could see that he just, he didn't really have his legs under him. You know, you could see that he was yeah. far from 100%. And that clearly hurt him at the plate because legs are very important when it comes to hitting. Legs are how you—that's how you generate power. You know that—that's everything. So uh, you know, if you don't have your legs under you, you're obviously going to suffer offensively. So uh, I think baseball really wants to see if Justin Smoke can repeat this before anyone's going to be, you know, anteing up any kind of uh, really lucrative trade package for for Justin Smoke. I expect Justin Smoke to be the opening day first baseman. In, in 2018, I expect the, the Blue Jays to try to find some ways to get him off his feet more than they did this year. It's tough with Kendris Morales on the roster because that's your everyday DH, so it's tough to find those DH days for Justin Smoke. Um, but I, I do expect the Blue Jays to try to manage his workload a, a bit more next year, uh, You know, while also admitting that, look, when Justin Smoke is hitting 38 home runs, it's hard to keep him out of the lineup. <laughs> Absolutely, and and as you mentioned, um, he's a big man, and he hits from both sides of the plate. So generating that torque requires you to be at a at a good peak level of health. And clearly, he wasn't the same player. And and I think you'll agree that hitting third and fourth when he and Kendris were in the lineup, the team had some real versatility in how pitchers were forced to to face the middle of the lineup. So there's no question for what he makes. It makes a lot more sense to keep him than worry about trying to shore up prospects. Um, Arden, I had Ian Hunter and Andrew Walker on my show recently, and both seemed entirely convinced that this starting staff can deliver next year. Looking at, a, at the prospect of a year with Stroman, Sanchez, Estrada, and Happ, all reasonably healthy, you know, Roberto Cena shutting down the door, are you confident that these horses, if they stay healthy again, should realistically be able to contend for a wildcard spot in 2018? Uh, I, we we have to see how they fill this thing out. We have to see, you know, I expect the Blue Jays to add a, another major league starting pitcher this year, and we don't know who that's going to be yet. It's going to depend on what's available to them in trade and, and who will, you know, engage with them in free agency. Uh, but So we have to see who's going to kind of be that fifth guy in the rotation. And then we also have to see how the depth of this starting uh, staff progresses. Uh, you know, we have to see if Joe Piagini is you know, going to figure it out as a starter and going to find some consistency and be able to be that number six for this staff and, and front of Buffalo Bison's rotation and be ready to come up to the majors at a moment's notice if somebody gets hurt or there's a you know lack of performance or what have you. I think we have to see if Aaron Sanchez can get over his blister issues. He lost an entire season because of these blister issues. 
And the Blue Jays learned very little about how to manage that, you know, that, that situation. I guess they did learn what not to do in, in some cases, which is good. Uh, but the, the Blue Jays still need to find a solution and find a way to keep Aaron Sanchez healthy through a season and allow him to throw at his best because when he's dealing with these blister issues, you know, it's evident that he can't throw his two-seamer the way he needs to and he can't throw his curveball either the way he needs to. So you can't put him on the mound and have him just be naked out there with one pitch. Uh, yeah. So that needs to be sorted out. And then the the to go back to the depth beyond Joe Biagini, who's going to step up from within the organization to continue to fill out that depth so that if you do need spot starters, or you do need somebody to take two, three, four turns in the rotation, you know, maybe it's not a Matt Latos or a Nick Tepes, maybe it's a Sean Reed Foley or a Thomas mm-hmm. Pannone. Are, are those guys going to be able to take the step forward to get out to the major league level and, and, and provide quality starts. So we'll see. I don't think that this rotation is a sure thing for 2018. I think there's definitely really good pieces in it. We talked about Stroman, Sanchez when he's healthy is very, very good. If Marco Estrada can, can figure out what was uh, ailing him this year and what made him slump, the way that he did, then, then he can be great. Jay Happ just quietly goes about his business and does his job and, and puts up really strong numbers and doesn't get a lot of accolades for it. So you feel good about him. Uh, but, you, you know, it's going to take more than, you know, four or five guys. You know, the Blue Jays are going to need 10, 12 starters next year. Uh, you know, that's what they needed this year. And, and there's no reason to, you know, that's just 2017 MLB. You, you don't go, you know, post to post with just five starters. So we'll see how it plays out. On a recent show also, Arden, speaking of which players might be able to step up, which prospects might be able to evolve, I had my three wise men I call minor league gurus on the show. It was uh, Jesse Goldberg, Strasler, Jason Waddell, and Craig Borden. And the two names that they kept bringing up that ultimately have been bandied about all over mainstream media, it's now creeping in, are Ryan Barucki and Danny Jansen. I want to get your take on them and, and to appreciate for fans and listeners, are they realistic in, in, in expectations to have them be on the 2018 club if they can impress in spring training? Yeah, those are two guys who had really nice seasons in 2017. Uh, Ryan Brocky, you know, a, a, a lefty starter who uh, you know really seemed to figure some things out, I want to say, kind of around the, the middle of the year and, and finished really strong, ended up at AAA Buffalo. Uh, and Danny Jansen as well, ending up at, at AAA Buffalo, a guy who uh, you know wasn't on a lot of radars in spring training, but just had this you know stellar offensive season. Um, yeah, got rave reviews from Blue Jays coaches about the way he was game calling and and just his uh, I guess the the makeup, you know, the, the work ethic and, and the way that he interacted with pitchers and, and the defensive work behind the plate. So yeah, I think the Blue Jays are excited about both those guys. We'll see. You know, the Blue Jays are really excited about Rowdy Tellez coming into 2017, and it didn't work out very well. You know, with with progress is is very rarely linear in this sport. You know, yeah. sometimes guys will have years where they they take giant steps forward, and, and then they'll have a setback, and in next year they'll plateau. You know, and it's a it's a really big jump from the minor leagues to the majors. You know, but the the fact that those two guys had uh, such strong seasons in 2017, and and the fact that I think they'll both be invited to, to big league camp, I'm sure. And, and we'll get to see them in spring against, you know, some major league hitters uh, and major league pitchers. And, and we'll get to see how they look against that level of competition. 
yeah, there's going to be a lot of eyes on them. Um, but I, I don't expect either of them to be, you know, opening day 2018 guys. I think they'll kind of be part of the depths that the uh, the Blue Jays are, are going to hope to build a AAA. You know, they really want to have this AAA roster of youngish players, you know, who who can be called upon to, to fill in for injuries or, or poor performance and, and provide, a, you know, a, a, a reasonable or just, for, you know, just, be better than whoever the minor league free agent is or whoever's on waivers, you know? So, so I'd expect them to be depth guys, but they, they certainly had good 2017s and we'll see how it continues. You almost wish sometimes that we could just flash forward to this time a year from now, because it's going to be such a different dialogue, isn't it? I mean, are you anticipating what kind of interactions you'll have as a professional sports journalist in a year looming to which Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, Keith Laws now officially declared number one prospect in all of baseball. And what some would argue number two is Bo Bichette. Can you imagine what it'll be like heading into the 2019 season in that regard? Yeah, those are two exciting young prospects. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's the same caveat as I just gave with Brookie and Jansen, right? You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if there's yeah. going to be injury. You don't know if there's going to be a lack of performance or if, you know, Rowdy Tellez had pretty significant off-field issues in 2017 that clearly affected his season. So, you know, it's like I, I always have to, you know, hedge my bets. <laughs> I always have to say, yeah, they, they've been really good, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so, it, but it, certainly those are two very exciting young prospects from, you know, from an offensive standpoint, uh, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I've had people tell me that, that his bat is major league ready today, you know, and, and you, we've seen him in the futures game, turn around 99 miles an hour, square it up. You know, his, some of his uh, minor league exit velocities have, you know, been 115, 116, 117. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who hits the ball very, very hard and who can get to a lot of different pitches around the zone. And uh, and then with Bobby Shett, you're talking about a guy with an unorthodox swing, but a, a swing that really works for him. And when you look at him, you know, you, you don't think, oh, this is going to be a, a guy with a lot of power potential. But then you watch him swing the bat, and you watch the way the ball comes off his bat, and you say, oh, this is a guy who can generate a lot of power with his swing. So, uh, yeah, I think both those guys will continue to take steps Next year, I think that, you know, the, the important thing for both of them really is defense. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at third base and Bobby Shedd at shortstop. I think the, you know, the important thing for both of them is establishing defensive routines and, and just getting more reps at those positions and, and improving that side of the game because offensively, you know, they're, they're special players. And offensively, they can do some really, really impressive things. But, uh, you know, the game's played both ways. So I think that they, they need to keep taking steps in that regard, and, and we'll see how things progress next year. How can we best identify the equivalency between sports when we look at a young hockey team, for example, the Maple Leafs, with all the success they're having with their nucleus of young players? In your opinion, in baseball, it really isn't that simple, is it? It's not just a matter of having two or three players. It's about having a functional team. Otherwise, you could easily have a, a Giancarlo Stanton playing for a team that can't even make 500, but yet ends up with the kind of statistics that makes him a star. That's not what we need here in Toronto, I would imagine. Yeah, they're yeah they're they're completely different. You know, the baseball is probably more of a a weak link sport, whereas hockey could be a strong link sport. You know, and in baseball, you you want if you could have like you said, you have Giancarlo Stanton at the top of your roster, but if your next twenty four are mediocre to below average, you're probably <laughs> yeah, sure. not going to do anything. You know, I I think that in baseball you really do need at least 25 really capable major leaguers, and you know beyond that as well, because you, you think about how deep teams go into their 40-man rosters these days. You know, you think about 
how many injuries there were in baseball this year. You know, this is a sport that is being played at, at a, a much higher pace. Uh, there's, you know, a, a lot more risk for, for injury. Um, you know, we, we, I think the baseball teams just know a lot more about injury now than, than they once did and about preventing it and about workloads. And so you, you really do need, you know, you're not going to have, you know, a, a, a batting order of nine guys who all play 162. You know, you, you really mm-hmm. do need a, a lot of good, capable major league players uh you really you know you look at how deep the dodgers are and how well-rounded they are to me that's the best team in baseball this season and you know it's because they're so deep you look at the the houston astros you know and and, and you look at that that lineup and it's just you yeah. know the, some of the guys that they've had to rely on this year and some of the depth that's been tested with them it's been remarkable uh the fact that you know teoscar hernandez couldn't break their team like could not crack their roster comes to Toronto in September he hits eight home runs uh it's that's that's how you got to build your team in, in 2017 you need a lot of good major league capable players and that's what the Toronto Blue Jays are trying to do I know you'll be watching him closely Hernandez to see whether or not it's just the um always concerning allure of non-meaningful September baseball you know those statistics only go so far in impressing the fans the question becomes can the players show up and start contributing from day one help me understand your opinion of Anthony Alford because it seems to me like the time has come to really as an organization decide are we going to give this player a legitimate chance or he or are he going to go down in history as a prospect that just couldn't make the lineup for whatever reason well, he had this this weird year with the injuries, um, you know, and it had to be a frustrating one for him. You know, I, I know that baseball people are still really high on him because his his tools just off the charts. And, you know, in that very brief time that he was in Toronto, I feel like Blue Jays fans got a, a very brief glimpse of that, of the speed, uh, you know, on the base pass and in the outfield of the bat speed, of the the way the ball came off of his bat. You know, this these are the things that that analyze scouts and coaches and, and are exciting people about Anthony Alford. At this stage in his career, it's still an experience thing with him. You know, he played football, uh, you know, for, for a number of years there and, and lost out on a lot of development. Uh, and then he's moved really quickly, really, when you look at how much minor league time he's had. I mean, it, it pales in comparison to other prospects of his age. Um, but he, he still just needs experience, I think, and, and reps and at-bats. So, you know, the, the Blue Jays obviously are still excited about him because of those tools that I mentioned. It's going to be, can he kind of round out his game? Can he develop an approach? Can he be consistent? And uh, can he stay healthy and on the field? That's the biggest thing because, you know, when he's missing time now, he's just missing more development, more chances to improve. And, and that's what he really needs. In a year where you no doubt were very, very aware of the criticisms that were being thrown this team's way in specific areas, fans were unhappy about the lack of uh, cashing in runners. The runners in scoring position were, were abysmal this year in terms of what the team needed to do to stay in games. Their team defense, the level of what were previously plus defenders seemed to disappear off the map. Everyone seemed to struggle in some capacity or another. But the one area that I keep getting a lot of uh, follower and listener response and fan mail, if you will, of people asking me what's going on with this aspect of the game is speed, athleticism, uh, smart and aggressive base running. These things are not going to be synonymous with the 2017 Toronto Blue Jays. From your perch as someone who covered the team every day and is an authority on the ins and outs at both the minor league and the major league level, how do you feel this organization should best approach the importance of having this dimension in their baseball game? And do they even want it? Is it going to be a priority in an era of big booming home runs and power numbers? 
you have to get younger is the way to do it. Uh, and the Blue Jays had the oldest roster in MLB uh, this past season, so they were anything but young. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, generally speaking, you know, it's younger players are faster and, you know, just are at a point in their career where it's more fast twitch muscle and, and they've got more juice in their legs and, and they haven't, uh, you know, kind of withstood the rigors of major league season after major league season and injuries and DLs and recoveries and, you know, they're, they're just fresher players. So they just have to get younger if they want to get faster, I think. And, Look, right field is, is going to be different in 2018. That's certainly one place where they can achieve that. I think that, you know, up the middle in the infield is another place where we'll probably try to find someone who, uh, you know, can... I mean, the guy they want is Marlon Gonzalez or Ben Zobris from 2016. That's the guy they want. It's the guy who can play multiple positions, fill in around the diamond. Monday, you're in left field. Tuesday, you're at second base. Wednesday, you're in right field. Uh, you know, And the guy who can be capable of the bat, uh, you know, preferably a switch hitter or a lefty at least, and somebody who can run the bases a little bit. So I, I think the Blue Jays are going to look for that player. That's a really hard player to acquire. Uh, but if they do get that guy, that will help them in from a speed perspective as well. So if it's a... Eduardo Nunez in free agency or a, you know, City Blue Jays make a trade for Jerickson Profar in, from Texas. I mean, that'll be an injection yeah. to me as well. But, you know, really, you look around the Blue Jays' diamond and, you know, there's a lot of spots that are occupied by veterans uh, and, and guys who are not fast and guys who are certainly not going to get faster. So I don't expect the uh, Blue Jays to be a, a really, you know, kind of base running team next season unless they uh, ship out some of their regulars uh, from the 2017 roster. We'll see if that happens. But I think that, you know, slowly but surely, the Blue Jays front office is going to try to, you know, kind of move this roster more towards a, a younger, faster, more dynamic uh, team. But that's not something that can happen overnight, obviously. Uh, Art, give my listeners an idea of the things you're working on and how they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, Arden's Dwelling, uh, you can find me pretty easily, and you know I'll be doing uh, a bunch of different things over the off-season. Sportsnet keeps me busy, and I am very happy that they do so because I like to work. So uh, you know I'll, I'll I'll have a lot going on, as always. Well, listen, we, we love to see you work. You do really fine fine uh, articles and 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 podcasting work. Don't forget, at the letters is something that uh, my listeners should check in as well. I can't believe I'm giving your podcast the blog before you are. And like I'm not good at plugging. I feel like people can find me. I feel like people know if they want to see my stuff, they can get it. You know, like I, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, suffer for you know lack of exposure. I think that people are very aware. Of me. <laughs> Absolutely, they certainly are. Keep up the great work, my friend. And as a friend of the show, we appreciate you here on the James Journal podcast. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Ray.